0: Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by the International Data Engineering and Science Association, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and Castbots. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all our listeners. I'm Coach Culbertson, and today we have back with us the James Bond of the blockchain world, Christian, come here. Christian, why don't you take a minute and reintroduce yourself to the audience a bit and tell us a little bit of a story about your involvement with blockchain.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey coach. How are you doing? Um, so, yeah, I'm one of the two managing partners here at Sustany Capital, and we exclusively focus on the blockchain space. My personal background is in law. I stopped being a lawyer in 2000 after uh, being general counsel for one of the larger internet service providers back in Europe We were lucky enough to sell. A company at the height of the dot-com, and so that allowed me then to move to sunny Southern California and uh, started my life as a venture capitalist in a way, and got into blockchain very early because of my interest in evolving the internet, specifically the World Wide Web, because my personal stance is that we never actually built the World Wide Web, but we ended up building the commercial web, so the big hope that I have for blockchain technology is that we now finally build a decentralized world wide web. So as part of what we do here is we do a lot of kind of educating, going to companies and tell them how they could apply uh, blockchain and or tokenization. So we do about five to 10 underwritings for ICOs, quote unquote, um, per year. So where we guide existing companies mostly through the process of implementing blockchain or tokens into their existing businesses. So that's a little bit about who we are. Awesome.
0: So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's talk about potentially, what are what are some pitfalls that might surround investing in cryptocurrencies?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing um, we should clarify, that's something that I always do is like, what is a cryptocurrency? So if you Unpack this so a currency, as you probably know, needs to fulfill three functions it needs to be a unit of account, a store of value, and then a medium of exchange. So, while many virtual assets have all, the, all these characteristics, most often, um, more often than not, these functions are a side effect of the main function of any token. It means Ether, for example, is a unit of account on the Ethereum blockchain. However, Ether was not intended to be a cryptocurrency, but the fuel for operating applications on the Ethereum platform. So as such, it's actually a commodity. And most tokens that were created on the Ethereum blockchain were designed for a specific purpose such as the usage in a new application or platform where the token fulfills additional functions as embedded by a programmer through a smart contract. So, just like the often-quoted Chuck E. Cheese token, these cryptographically secured tokens do not fulfill the currency's criteria as they are not meant to be unit of accounts. Um, a few virtual assets that were issued for the specific purpose of functioning as a cryptocurrencies are really only Zcash, Dash, Monero, and Bitcoin Cash. And while Bitcoin itself was created with the specific purpose of being a medium of exchange, it currently is mostly regarded as a store of value, similar to a precious metal, which is why it is often referred to as virtual gold. And of course, it is, as of now, is traded as a commodity on mercantile exchanges. So investing criteria for currencies differ widely from those of commodities. So, the value of a currency is mostly determined by the soundness of its monetary policies as implemented by uh, its governing body, i.e. printing more money will inflate a currency, Uh, whereas commodity pricing, on the other hand, is largely driven by market demand. So, if your intention is to invest into cryptocurrency, you must understand the governments of these currencies. If they are inflationary and how well do they actually function as medium of exchange. So all other tokens should largely be scrutinized for the actual market demand. And since most of these tokens were issued by startups, most focus here should likely be given to product market fit and the size of the addressable market. So lastly, obviously, investing overall is all about timing and there's two dimensions in our space to that. So. A, when to buy, obviously, and then when do you need the money back? And then with blockchain in particular, what's the current state? So don't you don't want to invest into the first social media site, we always say, but you want to invest into the last one. And currently, blockchains other than Bitcoin are pretty much in alpha or beta stages. There's very few viable applications if you want to consider the ICO as one. Uh, then that's the one application and the other one being crypto kittens. But other than that, um, since the blockchains itself aren't built out sufficiently yet, there aren't really widespread good use of applications. So no killer application inside as far as we are concerned. I hope that made sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. So how can I create my own cryptocurrency? Uh, Pretty easy. If you have a text editor, you can do it. So just open up your really? text. Yeah, just open up your text editor. Uh, Windows comes one with one built in. So, and by the way, unless you're starting your own country, you probably uh, won't be creating your own cryptocurrency. You're just creating a token. <laughs> but so, if you want to create your own token, you can just copy the code from Ethereum's GitHub repository. So simply look for esc twenty. That's the standard. ERC is simply short for Ethereum request for comment. And then copy that into your text editor, replace the default entries with your own values for the token amount, number of decimal places, name and a symbol. Then you register a new wallet and you issue a token contract and you simply copy this into Ethereum's compiler that you'll find online and it will issue you those tokens into your wallet and you're done you're tokenized and I think there's like 90-second YouTube videos at this point in time about this topic. Hence, we have 2,000 tokens.
0: Right? (laughs) So, let's shift gears and talk about Bitcoin and specifically Bitcoin mining. There is some concern that cryptocurrency mining is taking up too much energy globally. How do you think that mining might affect the future of cryptocurrencies and is there any issue that surrounding an a potential global energy crisis from cryptocurrency mining
1: yeah, so i have read several articles claiming that cryptocurrency mining requires significant amounts of energy, and the authors typically refer to the exact same study, which is at this point has very limited peer review but so let 's simply assume that the estimated power consumption in this study is correct. It's They claim it's about to, close to 200 million kilowatt hours per day. So then you have to ask yourself, um, what is this claim too much based on? And typically the reference is being made to the Visa payment network at this point in time. So what where this argument falls short is that if you look at Visa, it doesn't account for the 12,000 people that Visa employs. M- most of these... Uh, probably drove to work this morning, then um, sat in the air-conditioned office and turned on their computer. So if you just take the computer as an example that they turned on, that's about 600 kilowatt hours a day. So once you multiply that, you approximately end up um, with the same energy uses. But of course, Visa is not the only credit card company. There's American Express and MasterCard, and both employ more uh, employees than Visa does. And then unlike Bitcoin, which is peer-to-peer credit card transactions, usually also involve a bank, right? J.P. Morgan Chase itself employs a quarter million people. So I think the math hasn't been thought all the way through, which is probably not so surprising because when you look deeper into the study, you'll find out that the study was done by Coopers, uh, whose clients include Chase. Bank of America, American Express, so it seems at least questionable if the research was driven by genuine environmental concerns or other ulterior motives. But to to summarize the topic from a wider perspective, my personal expectation is that blockchains um, with proof of work consensus mechanisms so mining will be relegated to provide store value functions, so specifically those provided Today, by physical gold, while most transactional systems will moving forwards probably use proof of stake or other scalable consensus mechanism. So, I don't think it's an actual concern. Plus, um, lastly, you must not forget that if um, the mining cost were to exceed the actual transaction cost, miners would simply stop making blocks. So, everybody would get out of it. So it's, it's not a real problem. I think it's something that's media-driven.
0: Got it, got it. So what are maybe some potential external or extreme, risk, extreme risks related to cryptocurrency, crypto investing?
1: Well, the risk is <laughs> they're always personal, right? So. A lot has been talked about regulatory risks, quite obviously, because there's regulators that are trying to get a handle on that and they tend to more often than not get it wrong. So that's a risk on um, a countrywide level, on a personal level. The question is whether or not you want to, um, invest in something that's, that could become illiquid or that you might not have access anymore. So you want to know what you're doing, basically, both on the technical side. Unfortunately, right now, a lot of these things are kind of technical in nature, unless you're using a simple tool like Coinbase. And Coinbase is more something that's blockchain adjacent. It's, re- it's really a bank in the nature uh, at the moment, but really you want to educate yourself over um, for the specific pitfalls of the currency that you're using. Generally speaking, if you don't understand it, don't get involved, right? That's always my motto. So kind of like what Warren Buffett says, that's why he probably shouldn't be commenting on the space because he's not involved, so why comment? Does it make sense? Yeah.
0: So let's shift gears again to Telegram. It's what, some of the new hotness happening in – Crypto circles. Why are Telegram chats so important for crypto projects?
1: I think a lot of people don't like to read longer text, and/or a lot of the texts that are, have been um, have been published by these projects are uh, very technical in nature and d- require some unpacking. So the way that people like to do their due diligence today is to chat online ideally at any given point in time when they are doing their research and Telegram seems to be the easiest way to do this at this point in time. I like to read the technical papers myself, but I'm a geek, so I'm different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rarely in Telegram. Right, right on, right
0: on. So let's talk about the whole know your customer thing uh, because that's a big deal. You know, users actually own their digital wallet addresses. How confident can you confirm that the person in your know your customer profile actually owns the listed digital wallet address?
1: Yeah, so let's unpack that a little because it's actually a much larger topic than it might seem. Um, So from the ICO's perspective, yeah, ICO's typically um, at the moment only issue tokens to people that they have identified. And there's many tried and tested tools out there to do this, banks have used for for years. So their bank standards, they're all fine. I think actually the larger... Uh, complaint that I would have with the entire space would be the notion that you need to do this overall. What I mean by this, this comes back to the early discussion, is that most of these things are commodities. So if you're going to Walmart and you buy $15,000 worth of blankets, they don't need your passport, right? So they don't need to know who you are. You can do this just fine. So most of these tokens, you sh- actually shouldn't be doing this. And for a very brief period um, in my life, I was a state prosecutor as part of my education back in Europe. And so, One of the typical tools you would employ as someone that wants someone to comply with something, you put the burden of proof on him. What this means in this particular case is um, anybody that is in any type of regulatory function would approach you saying, hey, uh, you did KYC and AML procedures on this particular buyer, so from your perspective, you were selling uh, a security or you think you're a money service business. I think that's a larger issue that's not being talked about. And that should probably be revisited at this point in time. So when we engage with projects, um, we caution them to either not do this or do this in a somewhat different way. But as far as identifying a person overall, I think that's a very interesting topic uh, regardless so we're very interested in looking at this whole identity space in a very different manner so we're, we're involved with the people over at ID 2020 to, to bring people that are actually that actually at this moment in time don't have an identity, which is almost a billion people on the planet, that can benefit from a blockchain solution that will provide them with a secure identity because uh, your passport, your driver's license, etc., those are all very antiquated technologies. And specifically, if you let them be stored by third parties, we all know about the Equifax hacks and that half of the U.S. population's data um, that's required for KYC is to be had on the black market for pennies. Right. And so that's actually the topic that should be talked about that we should be fixing. And that's more prevalent right now in Europe. You probably have heard about the whole GEDA, uh, general data protection right issue, the GDPR. That oh, yes. Yeah, and so I think that's a way more important topic so than the, the KYC because if you solve that, then KYC is no longer an issue because your wallet could hold and should hold all the criteria you need to do a transaction. Think about it. Most transactions will typically only require me to show that I have the funds required to enter into this transaction. Most of the time, you don't need to know who I am, right? If I'm just selling you a piece of software, there's no need for you to have my driver's license, my first or last name or anything, right? It's just like you buy a soda on the street without pulling out your uh, identification. And then on the other hand, you want to be very deliberate in terms of what you're actually communicating online um, from yourself, right? And that right now is a big issue. So the way KYC is conducted right now most often is um, you're opening up your camera and you you show either your passport or your driver's license um, to um, your little camera. On your device, and then um, there's a comparison between the picture on that with the, um, your actual likeness. And this is then associated to the transaction. And again, I, I would presume if you wanted to fake that, you could still do this. It would be rather cumbersome. And at this moment in time, this comes back to. Cryptocurrencies, for the most part, are a really, really bad tool to do bad things, such as money laundering, right? Because you have an immutable transaction. Even if I don't know who you are right now, it takes exactly four entries to figure this out, as most researchers will tell you. So it's kind of an awkward discussion that is probably being pushed by the people that have other intentions than actually um, preventing. Anti-money laundering. Gotcha.
0: So as we bring our podcast on in for a landing, uh, tell us how our users can, or how our users, our listeners, <laughs> you tell, I've been in the tech world for a while. Uh, tell our listeners how they can connect to you and if you have any resources for our blockchain enthusiasts.
1: Sure, yeah. I'm an avid user of LinkedIn and uh, you can find some of the stuff that I wrote about this um, there as well and we'll link back to our website and we we have a couple of resources for for people there that want to do an ico you can submit um your project there and one of our analysts will will go through it and our approach to that is very much that we want to provide value to the community overall so you'll never just get a no we'll tell you no and here's why you're, you're missing these and these things that we're looking for in an investable project and again i think mostly existing businesses at this point in time should be looking to do this much r- rather than uh, startups because from our perspective as a venture um, company, we uh, see this as yet another miracle that needs to be happened if, if you already don't have a technology that you can apply it to or you don't have a client base that you can utilize it for.
0: All right, Christian, thank you so much for coming back and hanging out with us again. No, no, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for li- for following up with us today, Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Ideas, the Purdue Blockchain Lab, and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab and leave a comment there if you have any questions. I'm Coach Culbertson. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time.